Hey, hi, I'm Bonnie. Welcome to this podcast, Make Joy Normal, where we chat about homeschooling and family life. With my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, we address your questions and topics in a way that can create more joy in our lives. Please submit any questions you have by email or voice message in the links in the show notes. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend, like, or leave us a review. That's how we get the word out. Thanks for trying to make joy normal in your own life. Good day, my lovely listeners. This is part two of uh, Truths in Family Life. Uh, if you didn't like part one, you probably won't like this either. Uh, on the other hand, if you appreciated part one, uh, you might find this enjoyable. So I shared with you three truths in family life, and I'd like to share more truths in family life from this talk. So one of the things that I had shared in the last talk was the sort of the chaos of being too busy, right? There's other forms of chaos in our life as well. We can have, you know, sort of chaotic ways of thinking or chaos of, of too much stuff was actually the one I was going to sort of hone in on because too much stuff can really ruin our life as well. I talk a lot about stuff and about reducing stuff and I'm not going to spend time other than mentioning that you know stuff creates so much chaos in our lives. I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on that because I've done so much writing on it and I've got other podcasts uh, that deal with that. If you just type stuff into the search bar of my website bonnielandry.ca you will find articles and articles on stuff and how I pulled myself out of that uh, sort of stuff problem. Chaos prevents us from being kind and stuff is another layer of chaos uh, that's really, really common um, in our sort of lives that we live, that we just sort of collect things and don't know how to get rid of them. And it's not a matter of organizing them better. It's just in general, most of us just have too many things to make organizing them a, a practical solution to the problem. So look that up if you feel like that's something that you you need help with. So I want to repeat that in order to maintain guiding influence with our kids, we have to maintain their relationship. We have to do everything we can to be kind. Having less stuff will aid us in that quest, in being kind and having less chaos in our lives. Okay. So new topic. Uh, the past few generations have sought control and discipline that doesn't keep our children close. Okay. And we're still sort of suffering from that. And we're, I think the culture is ultimately changing, but we are sort of suffering from an inability to be able to discipline our children and keep them close at the same time. And that's a challenge. So, so how do we do that? If we don't know, uh, if we don't know, weren't modeled, ways of doing that, then then where do we turn? Where do we go? Whether we use the term rewards and consequences or the term carrots and sticks, it, those, are, those mean the same thing, okay? They are our, what we're doing is we're using a bargaining chips with our kids to gain control over them. And bargaining really blunts our ability to keep our children close, okay? We need to, this is a, a really important truth, we need to avoid reducing our relationships to transactions. Relationships are relational, not transactional. I want to share a story with you that uh, someone shared with me years ago, and I think I've told it before on the podcast, but I'm gonna, it's worth reiterating for sure. Uh, a little girl, their daughter was um, about you know five or six years old, and she was playing Lego in her bedroom. And her dad came in and said, hey, listen, you have to stop playing Lego. We're having supper in five minutes. And she said, uh, oh, okay. 
So he came back a couple of minutes later and she was still playing Lego in her room and hadn't, uh, hadn't done anything to put it away or clean up. And he said, what are you doing? I told you that it's, it's uh, supper time. You know, you have to put your Lego away. So, so if you don't put your Lego away and clean up right now uh, and come to supper, you're going to get a spanking. And she said, oh, okay. And he came back a couple minutes later and she was still sitting happily playing Lego. He said, what are you doing? I told you I said you'd get a spanking if you didn't get this Lego clean up. And she said, well, I just decided I would take the spanking because I was having fun. Our tendency to, with, with that situation, is she wasn't, she was given a choice, right? Put the Lego away or get a spanking in a sense. Like even though he was saying it as a threat, essentially he was giving her a choice. If you don't do this, I'm going to do this, right? If you sit here and continue to play Lego, uh, you're going to get a spanking if you if you get up and put the Lego away, you're not going to get a spanking. She, he gave her a choice. <laughs> it didn't word it as a choice. It didn't sound like a choice. It wasn't meant as a choice. But the reality is that there was some choice involved, right? She exercised her own free will and she wasn't being sassy. She's a sweet little girl. She wasn't being sassy. She was just stating the choice that she made. You know, she saw it as a choice. So she did a quick cost benefit analysis and decided that spanking was worth a few extra minutes of play. It's a fair point. Now, sometimes threatening works. If you had a child who was more scared of getting the spanking or more um, uh, cooperative or less inclined to do their own will and do yours, then they might have just put the stuff away with the threat and, and gone on with it or even without the threat. There has to be some level of cooperation in order for that to happen. That child has to cooperate. Now, we could take the child's hand in ours and force the hand to pick up Lego and put it in the box, you know, grumbling at them all the while, you know, because that's what we tend to do when we get into those forcing kind of moods. And we could make them do that. But who's putting Lego away? The child is not putting Lego away. You are. Without some level of cooperation, you can't actually force that child to pick up the Lego. You can just keep threatening them and you can just keep raising raising the bargaining chips, you know, and you can cajole and you can threaten, but you can't actually force them, okay? And that's another truth in family life, right? You can't actually force another person to do your will, right? You can't force them to do something. You can't force them to think something. You can't force them to learn something. So it doesn't matter how much you threaten them if they are not willing or able to, to learn that thing, do that thing, uh, cooperate with that thing, you, you can't force them because you end up doing the thing. One of the most frustrating moments in parenthood is when our four-year-old, you know, you, you ask them to pick up Lego and they say, you can't make me, right? You can't make me. Yes, okay, we actually can't make them. Again, we could go back to grabbing their hand and forcing Lego into their hand and putting Lego away, but we're not making them. We're putting Lego away, right? We can threaten them, we can cajole them, we can uh, make their body do the thing we want them to do, but we're, we're not getting them to pick up the Lego. We want to keep the relationship intact. This is not, you know, this story that I shared with you and the idea of putting Lego away, we're not keeping a relationship intact by, by forcefully doing those things, by, by grabbing our child and making them do something or cajoling them or threatening them. Those are the worst ways we can keep the relationship intact. Uh, keeping the relationship intact means you maintain a guiding influence with your children. So then what does discipline mean, right? How do you get them to do stuff you want them to do? The reality is that discipline means we walk beside them. And that is probably one of the most important family truths we will ever learn. 
Discipline is most effective when we walk beside them. Guiding, guiding them, discipling them, walking beside them does not mean punishing them or bargaining them. It means investing in the relationship and not the behavior. Walking beside our children without punishment or shame or bargaining does not mean condoning their behavior. It doesn't mean excusing their behavior. It doesn't mean ignoring unacceptable behavior. Walking beside them means that we forgive unacceptable behavior and kindness. And at the appropriate time, we talk to them about it. We come up with strategies with them or uh, outside of our relationship with them, with our husband. How, do, how are we going to deal with the situation? We come up with strategies. We forgive the behavior and we talk about the behavior that is inappropriate and why it is and what we're going to do about that. Okay. We keep dignity, our dignity and theirs intact. We have to be kind in order to make that happen. We have to practice being kind. But the final truth that I would like to share is, is that in family life, we have to practice to be good parents. Okay. We don't just get to be good parents because we have ideals about being good parents or because we put the time in or because suddenly we find ourselves with children. We have to practice. It takes practice to be kind It takes practice to be patient. When we have children, we have opportunities, endless opportunities, daily, multiple times per day, opportunities to practice being patient and kind, right? Take every single one of them, okay? Uh, The ways that we practice being kind are outlined when I gave you the definition of kindness in, in part one. And I'll reiterate that really quickly here. To be kind is to be understanding and sympathetic to the needs of others. That helps us to listen thoughtfully, to have affability of speech, friendliness of speech. That helps us to watch our tone of voice. We have generosity of conduct. We, we That means we will assume the best of our children, right? They're having a bad day. They're having uh, trouble listening right now. They're distracted. There's something's bothering them, whatever it is. We have to watch our tone of voice with them. And we practice forgiveness of injuries sustained. And what that means is letting things go. We do not have to jump over our, all over our kids for every little thing they do. And it can be irritating. But when we decide, okay, these are the things that I'm going to I'm going to focus on with my child. These are the things I'm going to let go. Like say every sassy tone of voice, let it go, let it go. If sassiness is becoming a, a, a bigger problem than, than you can handle, then okay, yeah, I think we need to deal with the sassiness. It's happening several times a day. I think that we, my husband and I need to talk about some strategy. What are we gonna do about this? Okay, child of mine, your tone of voice with me is disrespectful. And once in a while, that's not a big deal. I understand we all get agitated sometimes. I sometimes don't talk to you very nicely, and I'm sorry when I when I don't. But but this is becoming sort of all day long and and it's not the appropriate way to treat me. So I think we need to discuss why that's happening, maybe. And and what we're going to do about it, and maybe the child knows why, and maybe they don't, and maybe it's going to take some uh, challenging tears and whatever else to get through that. But the reality is, talking to them is going to be a much better way of approaching them than than jumping over every single time they're sassy, right? Sometimes they're not in a place where we can talk about it. So maybe they flip out. You know, I'm never sassy to you. What are you talking about? You know, 12 year old girl who's, you know, major hormones running, you know, that you, you could say, Hey, listen, you know, I can see you're not in a place right now to, uh, 
to talk about this, okay? And you don't think you're sassy. Maybe you could something you could just be think, thinking about and be aware of. You know, maybe I need to point out to you when you're sassy so that you realize you're doing it. Maybe then if that if they're not willing to talk, maybe then you say, you know, that that's the kind of thing when they're sassy to you the next time, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You need to get mad, don't need to jump on them. That's what I'm talking about. And that happens a lot. That's happened three or four times already this morning. You know, we can talk to our kids like that. We need to learn how to let things go. And if things are becoming a big problem when we're not letting them go, uh, then we need to work with that. What I've found over the years is if I say nothing, when my kids are speaking to me rudely or, or whatever, if I say nothing, within a few seconds or minutes, uh, they come to me and say, Mom, I'm sorry, I, never, I shouldn't have talked to you like that. If I say nothing, right? Uh, and those are those are highlights. Those are Those are a conscience working really, really well and developing and maturing when your child recognizes they weren't kind and come to you with that rather than us jumping all over them and them getting defensive about it, right? You or anyone else, uh, me or anyone else can become kind, even if it doesn't feel natural for you, if you're naturally sort of an irritable person or whatever, you can practice kindness the same way anyone can become a piano player. Some people are more natural at it than others. Uh, but you can absolutely practice and learn how to be kind. There's a big windstorm in the background here. That's what you're, the banging that you're hearing. It's not because I'm mad about anything. In our kindness, I would encourage you to start a revolution of love and mercy to be able to practice tenderness with your child, uh, to create an avalanche of forgiveness. It's not just affect your kids, but this will infect, affect the entire culture because we are so affected by the behavior of people around us and when people are you know vengeful and spiteful and critical that affects us right uh when people are kind and sweet and good we know that when we spend time with people like that it makes us better people so we we won't just affect our kids by this but we will affect the whole culture and i would encourage you all to be radically kind i'm just going to quickly run through these truths that these two talks were about uh, to reiterate, first truth in family life is that it is all about relationships. Uh, a second truth in family life is that it takes massive amounts of time and energy to nurture and raise a child, and it is supposed to. Okay, it's supposed to take a lot of time. Another truth in family life is that chaos in all its various forms makes it really, really hard to be kind. Another truth, we need to avoid reducing our relationships to transactions. Relationships are relational, not transactional. And this is a really vital truth. You can't force other people to do your will. We also need to look at discipline uh, in its true form. Discipline means to disciple, and it means that we're not meeting out punishments or, or bargaining chips with them, but they are that we are walking beside them. Discipline is to walk beside and to teach along the way. And finally, in order to be good parents, we have to practice. And it's going to take time and it's going to take effort. But practicing is something that we all have the capacity to do. And we all have the capacity to, wherever we're at, to improve. And we should all be trying to improve at any point in our life, right? It doesn't stop when your children become adults. Believe me, it still takes a lot of practice to be aware of what kind of person I need to be in order to keep my relationships intact. So God bless you. Have a wonderful